0: Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fellowship and the love that we feel in this fellowship, this church body, and we, we ask now as we turn our attention toward your word, your living word sent to save us, to teach us, to correct us, to comfort, to exhort us. May all of those things happen by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. It is time for the last judge here already. Um, Closing in on the the book of uh, clo- wrapping up rather the book of Judges chapter starting at 13. It is the last judge, but it doesn't mean after four chapters of Samson that we are done with the book of Judges. There are some other uh, matters not pertaining to Judges per se, but to Israel. And that we will look at, and then we'll we'll proceed into 1 Samuel chapter one in the monarchy, starting with Samuel, so it's exciting. I look forward to starting that book as well. We did Ruth for Christmas, and so we would be stepping uh, into 1 Samuel when we complete Judges. So it is, as I mentioned, time for Samson, and it is the longest narrative found in the Judges. It's my opinion that the Lord saved the best story for the last. Um, Best is uh, kind of an odd word to describe Samson's life story. Um, It's not the best, but it is the most intriguing. It definitely is uh, the most interesting. There are four chapters. We'll try to get through two of them uh, tonight. Samson um, is a lesson in botched potential. Great promise and power privileged by God. But a simple lack of dedication, focus, seriousness and the weakness for women takes them down in the end. Now his name will mean sunshine or sunny. S-U-N-N-Y, and uh, into the darkness, really, of the time of Judges. He will be used by God to to begin a work that he doesn't quite finish. Uh, He's a guy who likes to push the envelope to see how far he can go to the edge without falling over. But, oops, in chapter 16, he finds where that is and he falls over. Now, you'll find his adolescent mindset very disheartening, because after all, he is considered a hero of the faith mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and God is so gracious not to deny that he was in the faith, not very faithful to his parents, to what, how his parents raised him, to his gifts and to his calling, to his potential, to his Nazarite vow. None of that. But he was in the faith. He's a classic 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15 kind of guy, where the wood, he has the foundation of faith. He is right with God in a, a positional sense. But he builds on that foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. And the metaphor that the Apostle Paul gives in that third chapter of 1 Corinthians is that the, that day standing before God, uh, the fire, the judgment will burn up our works. And whatever is left standing, we will receive a reward. Uh, things that we did for the Lord uh, are, is likened to be building with precious gems of gold and silver and those kinds of things. Uh, He didn't use much gold or precious gems. He used a lot of wood and straw, and that just goes up. And we're going to see that in our study the next couple of weeks. You know, for me, he's like a uh, 16-year-old stuck inside the body of Fabio. (laughs) I don't know if you remember who Fabio is. It's the least risque picture I could find of Fabio. All right, Samson. Are you kidding me? Bye. Now we all laugh, but uh, folks, let me remind you that we all have a little bit of Samson living in us. The sinful nature survived conversion, didn't it? And all we need to do is be out of fellowship for a little while and stop praying, stop reading our Bibles, and not uh, using the Holy Spirit's power to put to death the misdeeds of the Samson within. And then we find ourselves pushing the envelope and trying to find out how far we could go and still be saved and still enjoy God's blessing without falling over. So uh, verse one, we're going to hear some very familiar words. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And so now 40 years is the longest oppression that Israel's ever had to suffer in the period of the judges and so this is just a terrible time uh they are in this pickle because they keep uh, like samson he's a very much a judge of and man of the hour of the day he lives in they keep pushing the envelope and so they'd get blessed and then they their devotion toward god would grow cold and and lukewarm And then they would sin and worship other gods. And God would raise up their enemies to, in a redemptive way, bring the paddle, discipline because he loves them and he wants to bring them back into relationship. Now, the Philistines were very wicked. And I I just want to just stop and and say Roman numeral number one, formidable foes, the Philistines. We're going to deal with them for the next couple hundred years, probably not us, but uh, they are biblically in there. Never mind. That was kind of a lame joke there. Apparently, <laughs> wow. And and so maybe for the next couple years. All right. And because they're all over First Samuel, and they are number one. The Philistines. Uh, their name means sea peoples or invaders from the sea. They are number one. Not Semitic origin. They are not related to Abraham as the Arabs are. Now, why I'm saying this is because they are often confused to be the forefathers of the Palestinians, and that couldn't be further than the truth. Uh, These Philistines are of European ancestry. They are from the uh, area of Greece, and they leave that area, and they invade the land of Israel in 1200 BC. Uh, they are ruthless. They, um, they are not any of the Canaanites. They are never listed in the Canaanite, parasites, Girgashites, and all the otherites. The Philistines aren't one of those uh, people groups that they dispossess. They are invaders and they come in and they settle and they occupy. And as we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13, what they do to oppress the Israelites is they render them helpless by outlawing Jews to be blacksmiths. So they cannot forge uh, iron. They cannot make weapons. And so the Philistines have all the weapons and Israel have none. And so they are oppressing them. Uh, by the way, they, became, they become extinct in 600 BC. They, are, they do not exist. There are no Philistines today. Um, in AD 135, as I've mentioned before, the Roman emperor Hadrian, who hated the Jews and wanted to wipe the memory of Israel from the earth, he renamed Jerusalem after the god of Jupiter. And he also renamed the track of land known as Israel as Palestina, after a, that is a Latinized version of the Philistines, just to kind of give it to the Jews and say, you know what? We're going to name your land after your most fiercest and hatest enemy, the Philistines. There was no connection. And so even the Jews had to be called Palestinians because they lived in the tract of land that was named from 135 AD. Palestine, Palestina, Palestinians now. That's where you get that whole thing. But they are not related at all. The Palestinians now are displaced Arabs. They are Arab people. They are not Philistines. And Israel has never been referred to in the Bible, as Palestine ever, only two words for Israel, Canaan and Israel. It was Canaan before God said, I'm going to evict these people. They haven't paid their rent for 400 years. (laughs) They're out and Israel's moving in. Two names. That's it. So that's a bunny trail that I often go down. Thank you for hopping along with me. It is important. You will notice that the Jews are not asking for deliverance. They've given up. They're not asking. They're not praying. They're just suffering. Uh, They don't even want Samson. You'll find out as we read along. They tell Samson, quit causing trouble with these Philistines. Can't you see? They can outmaneuver us. They're stronger than we are. So they're not asking God for help. They're just suffering. And they're, listen, they're content to be oppressed. Let that sink in. They just got to a place where I'm going to be a punching bag and this is how it's always going to be. The enemy's always going to be uh, over me, making my life miserable. This is just a compromised state that I'm going to have to learn to live with. That's too bad. God is merciful and God says, you know what? I've got something better for you. Verses two through five, a certain man of Zora, 17 miles west of Jerusalem, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile. She was barren. She couldn't have children. She remained childless. The angel of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ before Bethlehem, appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So Roman numeral number two, unbelievable promise in this son to come. So Jesus, the Lord, appears as what I've said before is called a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance, a manifestation of God in the Old Testament. Those are the theological terms for that. And he comes, Jesus Christ, our Lord, comes to her and says in the middle of some field, hey, uh, I know you're barren, but good news, you're going to have a son. Now, the angel of the Lord has appeared before, and we see that he is more than any angel. He is the angel of the Lord. Judges 2 and Judges 6, we can see that Jesus is on a special mission, appearing as a man uh, before his incarnation. And so the Lord announces and says, this boy that you're going to have, that you thought you could never have, will be uniquely devoted to me. The Lord is describing what is called a Nazarite vow. And if you want to read about that, you can find it in Numbers chapter 6. Now, Nazarite vow. Well, it is a a vow that somebody could make voluntarily. They wanted to press in in a time, a season, to get uh, close to the Lord, a serious time in their life. They were able to do that and take a vow, a Nazir, is the Hebrew force to separate uh, unto to dedicate, and so a Nazarite vibe in uh, vibe vow um, in verse five. That's where that happened from. Uh, no wine, don't even touch a grape, don't even look at a vineyard. I mean, no raisins, nothing. All right, uh, that's about really kind of separating from the social. Uh, life and saying, you know what, Uh, They all they had is water, goat's milk, and wine. I mean, those were the choices. And so when you removed yourself from drinking wine, you're just kind of like out of it, kind of separated. And so, you know, for a season, they were separated and saying, you know, I can't partake in this kind of uh, joy and fun and laughing right now because I'm seeking the Lord. The second thing, no haircuts, which kind of uh, focused on an unbroken communion, no cutting, just just flowing, and then no contact with dead bodies, kind of removing from the effects of sin. So Samson will violate all three of them. And uh, by the way, and as I mentioned to you before, when we studied Nazarite vows, uh, Jesus was a Nazarene. He was not a Nazarite. He drank wine, whoops, and he touched dead bodies to make them alive, but he did touch them. But he was accused rather of, (laughs) it'll work sooner or later. (laughs) He was accused of being a a drunk. Why? Because he drank wine. He wasn't a Nazarite. That means he didn't have long hair because the Jews considered it dishonorable for a man to have hair longer than his ears they covered their ears, that was it. That's how long Jesus' hair was. Now the problem is medieval artists, the Renaissance period, Nazarene, Nazarite, sounds very similar, just a few letters difference, but it's a few inches of hair length as well. And so that's a bunny trail I like too, bunny trail too. (laughs) Got it. Since uh, the baby was gonna be holy, Mom needed to be holy as well. And so the Bible just sh- shows you 3,000 years ago, Jesus knew, you know, Mom, whatever you drink and eat is going straight through the baby. So drugs and alcohol and tobacco, those are things that are no-no's for you because it's not just your life anymore. And so he says, you know, you're going to have to stay kosher and, and, and you're, you yourself going to have to be on the vow as well until you deliver this baby. So interesting note that Samson will begin the deliverance. He's not going to finish it. The prayers of Samuel and the conquest of David will finish it. Now we're going to take a big chunk, 6 to 25. Then the woman, she gets this news. She goes to her husband and says, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't, very awesome there, means beyond understanding, just glorious, wonder-filled, you know. Well, we're going to get that word again later. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God, from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah, the husband, prays to the Lord, oh Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us, (laughs) to us, whoops, he didn't come to me, just my wife, come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who's to be born. God heard Manoah, the angel of God, came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her, The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, well, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your, must, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine nor drink any wine, rather fermented drink or eat anything unclean. She must do everything I've commanded her. Nothing new there, by the way. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Talk about a, you know not a grand entrance, but a grand <laughs> exit. <laughs> Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. And I love his wife. Common sense. But his wife answered, "Um, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy named him Samson, Sunshine. He grew up and the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahane, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. Well, Roman numeral number three, fun with mom and dad. Why is so much time devoted to these two? It's like, get to Fabio, Lord. I mean, seriously. You know, first he, you appear to her, and then he, he feels left out. And he, he prays, like, oh, what about me? My chopped liver? Come on, I'm the dad, you know? And what if she's not even understanding? What if she's crazy? What if the, she's got sunstroke? I need to see this. I need to believe. So then he appears again, but not to him, again to her. And she has to go and get him. Uh, what, why do we need to know all of this? Well, Here's my take on that. This kid is going to disgrace his parents. He's going to torture them. He's going to uh, be the foolish son that brings grief to his mother and father. And they are going to have a really hard time believing that God had promised what he promised and gave them this kid to raise. And then when the time comes, when they see him going sideways, and immediately he does, with them in tow, by the way, the Lord is going out of his way to say, you'll need to remember this. You'll need to cling to these moments where you saw my hand in your life and my sovereign will displayed that I gave you that kid. Verses 6 or 7, moving on. Mrs. Manoa uh, relates to Mr. Manoah the visitation, amazing news. This man of God, this angel, mystic, majestic uh, appearance, maybe a glow. Uh, the word in Hebrew for awesome there is fear-producing. You know, she doesn't ask him his name because she's afraid of his response, you know. what You know, uh, I don't want to know Are you, that you're the Lord standing here talking to to me. And he says, you know, you're going to have a baby. And 8 through 14, Mr. Manoah, you know, he's, he's like, no fair. You know, what about me? You come and see me as well. And you know, I love this. Oh, Lord, I beg, come on, send this awesome visitor back to us. We need some more information how to raise him. But commentators say, his reason he gives in his prayer is kind of suspect because when the Lord does come back, he doesn't give him any other information. It's like, uh, well, everything I told your wife. So just do that. And so maybe the Lord is just honoring this man's need for some confirmation. He's a doubting Thomas. And so the Lord says, here you go. And Manoah's convinced, you know, he wants to show some gratitude. And so he says, can you please stay for dinner? You know, Abraham invited uh, the angel of the Lord for dinner, and Gideon had goat kebabs, and uh, <laughs> we want to have goat kebabs too. And uh, you haven't tasted what my wife can do. And so the Lord says, you know, it, that's really not going to work. But uh, if you do want to say thank you, there's a way to do that. How about a burnt offering? And that's what shakes the man to realize, who did you say you were? Because uh, where's the high priest? We're not anywhere near the tabernacle. You can't just offer a burnt offering before the Lord. But he says, you know, since I am the Lord and I'm standing right here and you want to do this thing for me, go ahead and let's have a little burnt offering. Let's just, just do it right here. So he says right then there, what exactly it was your name again? <clears throat> and then the Lord says, what? seriously? You have to ask me right now? We don't know what's happening here. And so, uh, you know, his, his reaction. And then, of course, the Lord says, it's beyond understanding. The word in the Hebrew, wonderful, meaning wonder-filled, it's the same title for Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where he's called wonder-filled counselor. And so he says that, you know, what what am I supposed to tell you? You can't understand my name. Uh, He tells Moses, says, what's your name? And the Lord says, well, I have been who I have been. I am who I am. I will become what I will become. Uh, I am. That's the best I can do for you. It is hard to describe who he is. And so Yahweh just is a shortened version of all of that. The Lord is salvation. He, he is. And so he says that. And then he says, let me show you. me, takes off through the skies. And then Mr. Manoah is like, we're all going to die now. <laughs> And so the wife says, honey, listen. First of all, he appeared to us twice. And he told us, I'm going to get pregnant. I'm not even pregnant yet. So we probably have to survive through the pregnancy. And then, then he said how to raise the boy. So we'd have to probably live that long. So, and then he accepted the burnt offering. So he's probably not mad at us. What do you think? Makes sense? And the guy goes, OK, honey. <laughs> all right, so then she has the baby boy, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Now the sunshine has grown up. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. I like saying Philistine because it sounds just more uh, evil. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 2, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Hmm. Sunshine on my shoulders. <laughs> Verse three. His father and mother replied Isn't there an acceptable woman, a, a, a nice Jewish girl among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife when she calls them unfil- unphilistined? <laughs> when she calls them uncircumcised, uh, they don't have a covenant with God. They're not, they don't get God. They're not in the program. What are you doing? you crazy, you've lost your mind. And then, but Samson says to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. <laughs> Samson want Philistine. <laughs> Unbelievable. Verse 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. All right, Roman numeral number 4. Did I give you three? Yeah, Yeah, fun with mom and dad. All right, this one, number 4, is a fatal flaw, a taste for danger, a wild streak. Well, although Samson's had the greatest advantage over all the judges, his birth is foretold by Jesus. Uh, God's great intentions, God-fearing parents, a uniquely dedicated life, blessing, calling, gifting. Yet, this guy is going to fail. This is crazy. God, God's, well, God sets him up for success, but listen, he expects his cooperation, He sets us up for blessing, and then he says, cooperate with me, or you can short-circuit that. And it's our position that you can't, a true born-again Christian can never be unborn again because you didn't earn it in the first place, and you can't unearn it, but you can surely short-circuit its effectivity and also any reward. You can disgrace your family, yourself, you know, and just, we're going to see this. This guy is going to just put them through the ringer, you know? So his lack of self-control, his inability to control his lust, he's got a thing for women. So wait, oh, the first thing you hear about Samson is what? He's got a problem with lust. He, he's got a thing for Philistine women. And what's the last thing you hear about him? He's destroyed. Why? By Delilah and the Philistines. He's got a thing for Philistine women, and he, that's going to ruin his life. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is the man who lacks self-control. When you lack self-control, whether you're a, a, a young man or a young woman, you leave yourself vulnerable, and it's just a matter of time before you are destroyed because you have no walls. And so uh, here, this guy is, you know, how do, how do we think of him? Um, we just think of him as uh, somebody who's compromised and somebody who has a besetting sin that he doesn't feel like addressing. You know, in Proverbs 5, I love this. It says, I wrote it down. It says, um, talking about the guy who goes for the adulteress, the guy who's always after porn and lust and women, he says, At the end of your life, buddy, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are spent, when you're an old guy, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. And another proverb that says, he who strays from the path of understanding will come to rest in the company of the dead. And that's where we find sunshine. Sunshine is going to have a sunset, and he's going to, uh, it's not going to be very pretty. And so, verse 2, instead of preparing to deliver Israel from the Philistines, he's preparing to marry one. So he's wandered four miles into enemy territory there, Timnah, and he's fallen in lust with a real hottie. Um, uh, They haven't spoken. He's just seen her. He's fallen in lust with her. It's lust at first sight. It doesn't matter that it's unlawful. Exodus 34 and verse 16. Thou shalt not do that, Israelite. Do not marry outside of the faith. That's a no-no. Deuteronomy 7 and 3. And 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. A New Testament principle is a command, a directive to Christians not to marry on non-Christians, not to flirt with them, not to be boyfriend-girlfriend with them. For what fellowship has light with dark with Christ and the devil, Paul saying, well, are you kidding me? It is so counter. Why would a Christian whose life is centered in Jesus want to yoke up with a Philistine who doesn't know God from a rock? who doesn't even bow to thank God in prayer over a meal. What's the attraction there? David Guzik says, it isn't because those who are not Christians are not lovable. They are sometimes more lovable than believers. It is, and cuter. It is not because they aren't good enough or worthy of our love. It is simply because to be a Christian means Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life. And when a Christian and a non-Christian get together, you will, you will have two people who disagree on the most important things in life. God will never lead a Christian into a relationship of romance with a non-Christian. It will never be God's will, ever, period. Now. Can God work something miraculous out of it? Yeah. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. He just says, don't do it. Do not do it. Yikes, come on. Don't get me crazy up here. His poor parents, give me this girl me want her me want her now what Fabio want Fabio get so his poor parents knowing what they know alright you've been through a chapter with fun with mom and dad you know what they know God appears to them says I'm trusting you with this boy he's got three rules never 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 and now he's saying to them I want the Philistine, no son, you're supposed to like destroy the Philistines, you're not supposed to be marrying them, but me want it now, oh wow, so the grief, the grief in their hearts, those poor parents, pain, shock, grief, you can't find one, you know what, and the thing about it is, the saddest part, it isn't that everything be okay if he said, okay, I'll, I'll find a Jewish one. No, that's not the problem, Mom. The problem's way worse. It's his heart. He's out of it. He's an adolescent. He's immature. He's a man who's controlled by his lust and passions. He's senseless. So just because he, you get him not to marry the Philistine, so he marries a Jew, yeah, you know what? It's a little bit deeper. But you can't blame them. You're disgracing us. And uh, well, he says, nope, she's the right one, get her. And uh, so as you know, marriages back there kind of were transacted by the parents and financial obligations and all of that. And they still are done that way a lot in the Middle East. And so now, uh, now a great verse for parents with erring children. But as parents didn't know, This was from the Lord, meaning, let me paraphrase, but in this disobedience of his, his parents didn't realize the Lord was actually at work and would override and use this blunder for an opportunity to deal with the enemy Philistines. God never leads us in temptation or evil. So God wasn't saying, hey, this is a good idea. I'm making an exception. Go ahead and marry the Philistine. No. That's not what the verse means. It means mom and dad, look, God's way ahead of this kid. He belongs in God's hands, and God is going to use even his foolishness to bring about his purposes and glory. That's what he's saying. Mom and dad didn't realize it at the time all they could see is he's after a Philistine. He's departing the faith. We have failed, he's failing, this is a disaster. But P.S. or parentheses, mom and dad, you don't understand, God is going to use it. Uh, Just like the more uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, the more God reveals his glory. Now, the Apostle Paul figured out that sinful men would be twisting this conclusion here. So Romans chapter 3, verse 80 says, Why not say then, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and some claim that we do say, Let us do evil that good may result, since God always comes through. Their condemnation is deserved. In other words, that's the way people on their way to hell think, Paul says. So we could say, well, look, it wasn't so bad. God, God saw it coming, so God said, you know what? I'm going to use this little engagement thing with this Philistine. And then we say, well, well it was justified. See, it all worked out. No, no, no. What, what would have happened if he would have just obeyed God? What is this man short-circuiting his life from becoming how great he could have been if he would just obey? No matter how much good God can bring out of even the bad things we do, he can always bring far more good out of our obedience, and we experience much less pain. Amen? You ready for a big chunk? 5 through 14. Samson went down to Timnah together with his dad and mom. And as they approached the vineyards, that's kind of a naughty place to be when you have a vow not to go near them. When he approaches them, um, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart his bare hands with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Oh, good he found out oh, she could have a conversation uh, and i actually like her that's nice uh, verse 8 sometime later when he went back to marry her he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass in it were a swarm of bees and some honey which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along when he rejoined his yeah gross it was so gross Apart from any spiritual implications there, that is just plain gross. When he rejoined his parents, honestly, stopping for roadkill, you know, (laughs) honestly, stopping. But it's a deer. It's venison. We'll have a barbecue. Oh, no. All right, where was I? When he joined his parents, he gave them some. Here, Mom and Dad. I'll stop by a little road stand and some <laughs> produce and some wild honey. <laughs> and they ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Why? Because his parents were God-fearers. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there. So he's going to get married now. It's going to be week long, as it was customary for bridegrooms. So when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you all a riddle. Samson stands up at the wedding party and says, if you can give me the answer, within seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it, he replied. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, for three days, they couldn't give an answer. Roman numeral number five, life is a big joke for Samson. All right. So people who are disconnected from spiritual truth and reality tend to minimize the importance and seriousness of life. Now, God gave us a sense of humor. And he's all for us having joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He he likes when we laugh. But, you know, when we're marrying the wrong person and we're breaking all of our vows, we're out of fellowship and we're doing evil and we're disgracing our family, now's not the time to stand up and say, I've got a riddle. No, it isn't. In fact, it's the kind of laughing that Jesus condemns in the world when he says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 25, woe to you who are always laughing now for you shall mourn and weep. that, That idea is for this kind of laughing where there's a party and there's people drinking and nobody cares and everybody's blaspheming and committing immorality. You open the door of any bar downtown This is the first thing you hear is cackling and roar of laughter and everybody throwing their heads back and having a good old time, mostly getting drunk and using Jesus' name every other sentence. And so it's this kind of carelessness, this kind of, you know, let's drink and be merry and uh, tomorrow we die. Verse 5, poor dad and mom have to accompany him into this Philistine territory to arrange the marriage. And notice he breaks off from them, from mom and dad in verse 6, and he's going uh, without them being aware of the lion incident. And so he is going toward the vineyard. Of course he's going toward the vineyard. Why? Commentators say, because Fabio wants a snack. Why else does it say he's going toward the vineyard? And what does God do? He shoots a cannon over the bow of his vessel. You are not supposed to be going headlong into a little secret shortcut through a vineyard, and God anoints a lion. That says, Warning, warning. Here's your lion who comes and attacks him. Now, God sends this ear erring child uh, a warning That his vessel is off course, and uh, sadly, this guy doesn't get it. Just because God enabled him to survive, he, in his deception, thinks I'm okay. I'm okay. Do you see? I got a DUI, but my uncle's a lawyer, so see, it's okay. I crashed the car, but oh, insurance came through. Oh, and I, I got an STD, but it's curable. Oh, I got thrown in jail, but you know what? My brother's a bail bondsman, it all worked out, you see? And so, because God comes to the aid of the person, they think mistakenly, oh, it's okay, I can go some more. Instead of saying, whoa, that was a close one, God, I get it. All right, thank you for helping me kill that lion. No more vineyards. No more grapes, no more Philistines. I I was headed toward a wedding. I'm not going to do it. No, 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 no. No, See, it's working out. It's okay. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. God's common grace is going to be evident in your life. And just because he's maintaining and sustaining somebody doesn't necessarily mean he's well-pleased. And so especially when you're deceived, you think, well, see, I could still get up and lead somebody to the Lord. God's still with me. Be careful. God is very gracious. So the marriage arrangements are made. They return home. And sometime later, according to verse 8, he's coming back. Now he's going to get married. And he's thinking, whatever happened to that lion? This is the place it was, wasn't it? I wonder if the body's still there. And sure enough, there it is. And some bees have come and made some honeycomb in there. And so he takes that, disregards his Nazarite vow, and scoops out, and ingests it, and gives it to his unsuspecting parents. And you're thinking, well, how? How could, that, how could he just do stuff like that and just give it to mom and dad and watch them and know where he got it from? A person who disregards their relationship with God doesn't care about you. If they're going to put their soul in jeopardy, you're the last person on the list. So everybody thinks, oh, it's my son, it's my daughter, it's my dad, it's my mom. I'm going to have some special words here, and I'm going to pour out my heart, and I'm going to cry, and they're going to change, and they're going to repent. They've already gave God a rude gesture. And if they're going to do that to God, my friend, they're going to feed you the honey that they found in some uh, roadkill and watch you eat it. They just don't care. They just don't care. So let the wedding begin. Notice in verse 11, he's given 30 groomsmen. Why? <laughs> uh, he has nobody accompanying him. He shows up and they're like, where's the bridal party? Uh, None of my friends want to come. They think I'm doing the wrong thing. They're narrow-minded, OK? Oh, we've got 30 Philistines. I'd love to be in your wedding party. So they give them 30 groomsmen. Don't worry about your narrow-minded friends. Our family will make up for that. So perhaps a little tense at the beginning of this little party, this wedding party. So he clears his throat after he's had a couple glasses of vino. It doesn't say that. But uh, this is a guy who would have Done that. And so he clears his throat and says, Hey, we've got to break the tension here. I've got a riddle for you guys. And you guess it, you'll each get a new suit, courtesy of me. But if you can't guess it, guess who's getting 30 from all of you? I'll supply 30. Each one of you get a new set of clothes from me. But if you lose, all of you give me one suit each. So I'll get 30 suits, okay? And they say, we're all ears, lay it on us. And then it just so happens to be an accidental rhyme in English, really kind of fun, because it's a rhyme in Hebrew. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. He's thinking, never in a million years would anybody get that. And so for three days, they're blowing steam out their ears, and they can't figure it out. So let's finish it up, and we'll be done. On the fourth day, they say to Samson's wife, coax your husband to be, their uh, weddings were seven days long, and on the seventh day, consummated, and then you're married. But they still called each other husband and wife. But it's not legal till consummation on day seven. Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Now. They're not very nice. (laughs) They're Philistines, okay? Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on Samson, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? Um, that's not good marriage counseling advice right there. You don't say, you know, my mom and dad are way more important than you. Yeah, that's no, he's not going to be a good husband. So she cried even, uh, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, well, wouldn't you? You're about to be burned alive. So this is important. So the seventh day he finally told her, because she continued to press him, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. Well, yeah, about 10 seconds later, bang. uh, Third uh, Next verse, before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, "Um, we have an answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Mistake number two, comparing your wife to a cow. <laughs> Bad. Bad. That, that's taking do I look fat in this dress to a whole new level. <laughs> Honey, not only do you look fat in this dress, but you look fat in that yoke. <laughs> then, the Spirit of the Lord Oh, okay, so he says, uh, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, nice, well-dressed men, obviously, stripped them of their belongings and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. He went home. He didn't marry or did not consummate. And Samson's wife was given to the, in the Hebrew, best man who was attending him at his wedding. There's going to be trouble in the next chapter because of that verse. <laughs> OK, so finally, number six, chink in his armor, Samson's weakness for nagging. Uh, he can fend off a thousand Philistines, but he can't withstand a little nagging. Proverbs 27:15. I'm sorry, ladies. I got to say it like it is a nagging wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Better to live in a little corner granny unit of your attic than with a nagging wife. Now, that can go either way, folks. Amen, sisters? (laughs) All right. Now, the Phillies are running out of time, the Philistines. They realize We don't have an answer. This is getting expensive. It's going to be expensive. And humbling to who? A Jew? Come on, please. We're going to look dumb, and we're going to be humiliated, and this is going to cost us a lot of money. So they go to Samson's fiance with a threat. Get it out of Sammy, or we'll burn you and your family alive. We'll just shut you up in your house, and then we'll torch it. Number two, we're accusing you. You set this whole deal up so you could get rich at our expense. So she's saying, come on, you're in on this. You, you know exactly what's going on. And so you wanted to get 30 new pieces of uh, clothing. And so you said, you're in on this deal. So she says, well, OK, well, let's see what I could do. Too bad that she didn't understand her husband. All she had to do was say, Sam. Listen, they're threatening me. They're, they're going to burn me with fire. Samson said, would say, excuse me? Before the wedding, I have something to take care of. And he would have taken care of it. But no, she can't trust her husband. So she has to manipulate. And the thing about manipulation, whether it comes from the man or the woman, is that it works. And that's why we do it. But the problem is you get what you want right when you want it. But you sow seeds of resentment and ill will and contempt. And so really, you know, it's really uh, nagging and manipulation may work for a short term. But though you get what you want, you run the risk of poisoning your spouse with resentment and bitterness toward you costing more than it gains. And so uh, at the last minute, day seven, he divulges the secret. She tells the groomsmen, and they have a reply. Uh, we get it, honey honey, and a lion. And, and the, the little riddle he gives back, it's all a joke still. So he says, you know what, the real back to you is you wouldn't have got that had you not plowed with my heifer. You do not plow with a heifer, you plow with an ox. And so he's saying, the riddle means, you have done something that shouldn't have been done. There's, there's falsehood here. You, you've, you did a, a no-no. That's a no-no to plow with a heifer. It's a no-no to talk to my wife, cheat, and then find out the answer, and then pretend that nothing like that happened. And I want to say, you want to correct them for their wrongdoing? You're at a wedding you shouldn't even be at. You know so. It, it wraps up here. Uh, he goes 20 miles west of Timna, and he waylays some poor 30 well-dressed guys, steals their clothes, leaves them there in their underwear, <laughs> and, and, and he takes their clothes and brings it back. In the closing verses 19 and 20, he returns with the clothes. Uh, he's fuming mad at the, the wife. They don't consummate the marriage. And so the father of the fiance is humiliated after a week's worth of investment and partying and all of this. You don't do that. And the groom just huffs out of the door and he goes home to mommy and daddy? Well, she well, he looks around and says, Anybody think she's cute? You know? And and the best man goes, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I do. And and they they repeat, I do, and they get married, and they consummate the marriage. And Samson doesn't know that he could just walk out. Now, I I was at a wedding in Santa Cruz many years ago. And at about 2.20 of a wedding that started at 2, the father of the groom went to the front of the altar, took a microphone and said, cleared his throat for about five minutes, and then said, my son has changed his mind. Everybody's at the wedding, the music, the organ, everything's in place. That was the feeling. So the dad said, you know what? We arrange marriages. Nobody has to fall in love in, in our culture. <laughs> we just say, You, you, you like each other? Okay. <laughs> Let's, so they looked around the room. Did the families work out? Families worked out. There's attraction there? Okay, happiness. And he marries them, and everybody's like, Two thumbs up. But Samson isn't going to be very happy, and we're going to hear about that. He's going to throw a temper tantrum with the 300 foxes. And so uh, just like a 16-year-old would have done, you know. And so the moral of the story is God's amazing grace to put up with our weaknesses and our rebellion and still have relationship with us. How patient, how compassionate, how merciful. And the biggest thing for me when I read this was Uh, A Quaker poet wrote the lines, the saddest words of tongue or pen are these, it might have been. That should be on his little grave marker, because who would ever know if he was a hero when he was so messed up, what could have this man done had he just walked with the Lord and Repented and confessed a little bit, cooperated with the Holy Spirit. The sky's the limit when God is on your side, and God's grace is with you. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons we're learning through the life of Samson. Lord, we we laugh no, but we are so sobered up by reading their. but but the grace of God go any of us. and We've all had our Samson moments, Lord, when we push the envelope. We just pray that your Holy Spirit convict us, show us that I just stupid to pursue our lusts and, and a life that doesn't have your blessing. So help us, Lord, touch our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.